Hello, hello, and welcome. Welcome to another episode of In the Rough. My name is Jamie. I'm here today with my good friend, Ed. How are you, Ed? I'm good. Yourself? You know, I'm doing great. I'm doing great because we have another guest on the show. He's a former D1 golfer turned swing coach. He has one of the most exotic names I've ever heard of. In my opinion, has one of the best handles on TikTok and Instagram. His name is Ramek, but everyone knows him as the CEO of golf. How's it going, Ramek? What up, you guys? How's it going? Pretty good. good. Pretty good. Excited to be on the show. I, I'm so excited to have you. Um, you know, I've been following you on TikTok for quite a while, and some of the stuff that you push out has really helped me in my game. Um, I know Ed has also benefited from some of the tips that you've uh, put out there, and I cannot thank you enough. Really? Don't oh, mind yeah. me asking. I don't want to put you guys on the spot or anything, but what? which one did you like the best? Mostly, so the problem that I have is over the top. That is my number one problem yeah. with all my clubs. And a good amount of the tips that you put on, I've actually improvised a tip only because I'm just too lazy to go grab a cover head sometimes. I yeah. usually just put a uh, a T down in the same area where you would put a you know, the, the, the head cover to help you promote you to, you know, get the correct swing path. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's solid. Yeah, dude, anything that you could do just to kind of, uh, force yourself in like the correct position or mm -hmm. just in the position that you kind of want to get, even if it's an exaggerated position, uh, using anything, honestly, like sh the stuff around your house, like, like it doesn't even have to be perfect. Like golf is not a game of perfect. And we're all on the same journey and trying to improve every day, no matter what level you're at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so could you just tell us how did you get into golf? Dude, yeah, it's a long story. So I started when I was like five years old, uh, naturally. Right. And mm -hmm. I grew up training to become on the professional VJ uh, tour, um, sure. become a professional golfer. And I was practicing practicing play started playing tournaments when i was like 12 years old or something and i traveled around pretty much uh i want to say world but i didn't really go overseas like over the over the pond i just went to like mexico puerto rico canada and whatnot so stayed over in the western hemisphere but uh so traveled all around uh north and south america pretty much and played oh, wow. in golf tournaments like growing up like junior tournaments uh and what have you so i was pretty decent junior golfer like not crazy good not horrible uh just good enough i guess to get a, a scholarship to d1 school and then uh college happened and uh, i just messed around too much <laughs> unfortunately and uh just didn't have the scores to g either get um sponsors or like or just to get into tournaments you know what i mean so just was uh kind of forced into i still play tournaments though forced into kind of like working uh the work life you know and uh here i am today but uh the dream's still there i'm still kind of youngish for golf golf age mm -hmm. and uh and uh yeah you never know like honestly in golf dude it only takes like a couple events and then uh your life could change pretty much So were you a country club kid or were you a municipal course kid? Dude, I was the most country club kid ever. It's like, <laughs> um, 
I grew up, or I started playing golf at a municipal course, though. Um, and then we kind of quickly went into a country club. Uh, I was pretty good as a junior. So um, I was pretty fortunate. I got great benefits from people that my dad knew, and they gave me access to golf courses growing up to where we eventually got a membership for our family, which is pretty crazy. And then I got invited to be a part of an academy uh, growing up as well. So um, IMG Academy. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it. Um, well, I'm very familiar with uh, with that. They push out some of the best athletes in the world. Yeah. So I got invited to come over here. This is when the golf program was still good. Now it's trash. Like, I don't even care if to say it. Like, it's like they, they treat their coaches like crap. Um, it's unfortunate, but. Uh, that's a different topic for a different day. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. so I got invited to come over here. Uh, it's cool. Played golf a lot, like every day. Um, it was a little too much, to be honest. Like I got really good really fast. And then after that, kind of um, coasted uh, just because like in golf, uh, especially if you're grinding every day, if you work too much uh, on the technical aspect of your game, um, you don't have you, you kind of lose that creativity. In your mind, and you kind of uh, look at everything more of a uh, quantifiable scale metric instead of kind of like a, a feel thing and kind of you're, you, you're focused too much on the stats instead of like too much on the uh, the more artsy side of golf, like visualizing a golf shot or keeping a positive mindset, um, maintaining a carefree attitude throughout the course. You get a little bit too robotic. Uh, that's kind of what I thought at least, but it was great, great experience. I got lessons from like one of the best coaches in the world, Dave Ludbetter, uh, for a while growing up. And he was amazing to me. Um, really, really changed, uh, my perspective on the game and perspective Mm -hmm. on the golf swing too. really taught me everything I knew, uh, to where I could go to college and end up teaching myself pretty much. So as I went into college, I, this is kind of how I got into the golf swing um, and really kind of knew the ins and outs of kind of why things happen for a specific reason. So like a golf swing is like made up of like a lot of different movements uh, that your body creates that your body's used to. So if your body's used to move in a certain way growing up, uh, probably most likely that it'll move that way during the golf swing. So you train your body, your body's like a, a muscle and it retains that memorization of those movements of your golf swing. And if you put it enough hours in, uh, you could train it to where it memorizes uh, the position that you want it to be in. But unfortunately uh, <laughs> it takes a lot of time to do that. And, uh, and that's kind of how I learned um, more about, uh, the technical side of the golf swing. So with Dave Leber's help growing up, uh, all that knowledge soaked up into one hour uh, every couple of weeks or so. Um, and then off by myself in college, that's when I really grew and really uh, kind of, I really uh, had a deep, deeper and deeper understanding about the golf swing. Because uh, once you're on your own and you're forced to like coach yourself, uh, you learn more about the why instead of like the what to do. And the why mm-hmm. is the most important part of it. Like if a coach tells you to do something, you're like, all right, I'll do it. But I don't like, okay, like I'll do this drill. Like, and if it doesn't work, then you get frustrated and you're not chances more likely or not, you're not going to keep doing it. Right. But if you understand yeah. the why you're doing it, 
and the why it's important, like what it's going to do to the ball flight, which at the end of the day is like what you want to affect. Like who gives a shit about your swing is like Tiger Woods. If you can't hit the ball to save your life, you can't on the planet. Then at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter, right? So you really want to know the why uh, aspect of why you're doing this certain movement and what it's going to cause to your ball flight or what or how much it's going to bring in those parameters uh, and uh, end up uh, dialing in those misses because golf's not a game of perfect and you're definitely not going to have your best every single day. And the reason why people practice, the reason why tour players practice is just to literally uh, be decent on your worst days. You know, like if your misses are going to be decent, then you're fine. Like you could shoot around par, under par. Uh, It's just, it's just about minimizing that big miss. And that's all it is. But uh, yeah, it's a long answer. Um, If you get me talking, (laughs) I could get, I could talk all day about this stuff. Oh, um, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, it, it all makes sense, really. I mean, so you were talking about memorization and your body's going to move the same way it always. Is that why like hockey players and like baseball players do a little from what I've seen, hockey and baseball players kind of pick up golf a little faster? Dude, yeah, totally. And that's why a lot of kids uh that's why people try to get into golf at an early age or try to try to get lessons at an early age. Cause you're more likely to make adjustments and to retain those adjustments throughout your, uh, golf career, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, cause your mind is so malleable to, uh, because it's not used to the movements or it hasn't really moved throughout much of your life cause you're young. Right. But, if yeah. you, but that goes to the same reason where like with hawking and baseball players, the baseball players have a lot of like, over the top movement um because it's a total it's kind of a similar swing like you're just rotating around your body using the ground uh to create power yeah and um but it's just different angles in your wrists and your upper body uh the weight shifts a little different and that's why a lot of baseball players kind of have an over the top motion like a big old slice Uh um because they're (laughs) because they're used to moving that way and their body's used to moving that way. It's going to take a lot of hours to train that, that body to, to act a different way. And, uh, and it gets frustrating for people. Like people are so used to that immediate feedback or that those immediate results. Uh, and, uh, golf's one of those things. If you pick it up later, like even in your like twenties, if you pick it up in your twenties, it's like, it's going to take a lot of hours to, to get it dialed in. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of my story. Um, I picked up golf right before I was 30. Um, I guess, you know, I live in South Florida. Golf is everywhere. Yeah. Um, I can't, I drive when I drove home from work. Um, I could pass probably well over a dozen golf courses. I remember passing the medalist, um, you know, every day and thinking to myself, Tiger Woods, Ricky Fowler, Justin Thomas, you know, <laughs> Greg Norman are right there. And they're just playing this. And I, I used to make fun of people who played golf. I, I, I hate to say it, it. It looked ridiculous. But now that I'm now yep. that I actually play, it is so much fun. I couldn't imagine not playing it. Yeah, you're in like uh, 99% of high school kids. <laughs> <laughs> I got it all the time growing up. 
No. Uh, so I want to talk about the recruiting. Um, I've yeah. heard that golf recruiting is different compared to recruiting in high school with, you know, football, baseball, because because I used to play soccer in high school and I would always see uh, scouts from different schools check out, obviously not me, you know, I'll just put <laughs> it out there before anyone says anything. They weren't there to see me, whatever. I'd never know. <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah. So you have, you have scouts come to the game. They write a little profile. Maybe they see what you do, but in golf, that's not the case. I, from, if I remember correctly, it's, they don't come to your, your guys's matches in high school, right? Um, well, high school matches. So for golf recruiting, high school golf doesn't really matter. Uh, just to be frank. Um, mm -hmm. it really comes down to like the top junior tournaments, like, uh, because that's where the best competition is. And like those uh, organizations are either uh, just using Florida, for example, like the FJT is pretty good. Uh, that's like a lower, lower division. And then the AJGA is obviously top tier. And um, there's amateur events too. So like USGA Junior Am or the USAM or uh, there's like New Year's Eve Am, there's Dixie Am, there's like all these different amateur tournaments that you could play and sign up for. And those are the best because that's when you kind of put yourself out there against like college kids and uh, kind of people uh, in their mid twenties, maybe too. Um, but and coaches really look at that because obviously that's the best competition and it's the best way for them to kind of get a measurement of like your capabilities, I guess. Because high school golf's kind of kind of a kind of a joke. Um, you only play like. Uh, 18 holes from like the ladies tees pretty much and like uh <laughs> you could go like really deep uh playing high school golf um and it's important to go deep but it's also important to kind of produce good results uh against like really tough competition and to answer your question if they do come to your events they do come to those bigger uh bigger events like i remember all the time like growing up like um i took like a visit to oklahoma state and I was pretty close to going there. And uh, I remember um, this is like right after uh, Peter Uline won the USAM. So Oklahoma State was like top dog at the time. Uh, or I guess it still is now. But Yeah, uh, I mean, they're, they're still pretty much up there. <laughs> yeah, they're still up there. And I remember <laughs> Oklahoma State coaches watched me. I had a pretty good round the first round. And then he decided to watch me the second day. And I was shit in my pants like i was like i was so nervous it was like i it was almost an out-of-body experience like you're like you're you don't know how to grip a club like everything you know mm -hmm. and uh but yeah it was it's fun i like looking back on it now it's like it's silly that i was that nervous but like uh it's it's a cool feeling um and you honestly uh because for golfers at least like their goal is to get uh a scholarship in the college and uh, that's like the primary reason why you play these junior golf tournaments um that in the competition really too uh -huh. but uh and like all these kids like saying they committed or whatever uh verbally committed blah 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 and like it's it's a pretty cool feeling if if you're able to play well under that pressure too oh absolutely i mean to have oh I'm not sure if Ed, um, Ed, how much you know about college golf, but Oklahoma State is definitely one of the best, arguably. I mean, Oklahoma 
the University of Oklahoma has a pretty good golf team as well. Stanford. Uh, I think Pepperdine just won the – they won the national championship last year. Yeah. yeah, Oklahoma State's up there. Yeah, I think uh, if you guys know, like, Matthew Wolf is more of a, a younger kid, I guess, freshly out of Oklahoma State. Uh, Victor oh, uh, Hoffman. Uh, Victor Hoffman. Oh, I'm fr- I'm familiar with uh with Wolf and that swing. Yeah, yeah, is it? A lot of people like think the swing's crazy, but it's technically like um through impact, it's really pure. Oh no, um, I looked at it this way. When I saw the swing, I'm like, I, I thought it was like uh, like just one of those swings people were making fun of on Instagram. Then I saw the shirt, and I'm like, he's that's an Oklahoma state shirt dude did my research. It's like, he's on the team. You know what? It obviously has to work if he's on that team. Right. No. Yeah. I mean, um, it's freaking, it's freaking good, dude. It's, it's like, um, it works. Yeah, it works. Like he takes it really outside on the way back, really steep and cross the line lifts the left foot. But as soon as he, plants that left foot in the transition and the kind of club kind of it's almost that's the helicopter uh little Mm -hmm. sequence you see in the transition like where it goes from across line to kind of in the slot yeah that right there is like pretty good and david lebeter is kind of teaching something very very similar to that uh like kind of like pre gg suintas pre george gankis about i don't know if you guys ever heard of the a swing but uh he was like a very early adopter of that kind of movement to where you take it pretty steep in the tra- in the takeaway, uh, cross the line a little bit. And then as you move into the transition, into the downswing, club like shallows out a ton and uh, comes in a really, really good impact position. Um, and it's, it's like they say it's pretty, it's like the most um, uh, efficient way to swing a golf club. Because like, if you think about it, like the normal model, um, I mean, I swing pretty normal, but like the normal model is like um, you take it away. They have like a very wide takeaway and you load up into the transition. Uh, it's it's a pretty slow process. And, th- and the idea behind like the A swing and Matthew Wolf swing, like you, your back swing, the, the distance between your address position and the, and the top of the back swing is a lot shorter than the distance that, uh, from a normal golfer would would take from a regular backswing because uh, you're taking it so steep and so across uh, the line up top. Uh, the, that distance is shorter. And that was the whole idea of it. And while you, when you press into the ground with your left foot in the transition, your arms relax and the club gets in the slot anyway. Uh, so it was kind of more of an efficiency thing. And I think, I don't know if George Genghis ever... He, he got the idea from David, but uh, it's, uh, it's up in the air for determination. I know David's not going to go out of his way to to get those titles back, but <laughs> he's no, already I established feel, enough. No, I feel like all coaches kind of like, I wouldn't say steal, but they adopt. They uh, adapt, adopt, adapt, I'm not sure. But definitely, you, I mean, it's also when you get players, you know, especially the pros who have multiple swing coaches, they're going to take whatever that person had before and take the good stuff and then replace all the bad. Dude. Yeah, absolutely. And we're still teaching stuff like that Sam Snead did in the fifties. You know, it's like nothing really changed. It's the different way you say it, different way people interpret it. 
Uh, there's new ways to kind of show different drills to, to create the same feeling. And it's all about creating a repeatable golf swing. Like your swing doesn't have to be perfect. Like it doesn't have to look pretty, but if you could repeat it uh, consistently throughout mm -hmm. the, your 18 holes a day, then chances are you're going to shoot pretty low. Um, and the, the winner at the end of the tournament is the most consistent player. Uh, just that's, that is what it is. Like, um, whether it's consistency with his putting, consistency with his ball striking, consistency with his little, little consistency with his golf round, uh, is just about creating a repeatable action and producing that on the golf course. Uh -huh. Yeah, definitely a really good insight into all the different coaching methods and such. Um, what's the most difficult course you've played? Um, that's a good question. Uh, most difficult course I played, mm, probably Tory. I played really? Tory like right after the U.S. Open, and that was oh, that's why. Fun. <laughs> yeah, that was very very fun. Uh, the greens were absolutely destroyed, um, like fast but bumpy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and the rough was still on, uh, so it was very very hard to score, like. Uh, we just uh, wanted to have fun. This one, I still live in LA. We we still want to have fun and tip it out just to oh. see what we would shoot uh, to compare to. It was right after the 08 Tiger win. And uh, what we would shoot, and I was probably like 12 at the or maybe like 14 at the time. Uh, no, like 12 at the time. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was a, it was a fun experience though. Now I've I've heard uh, nothing but great things with Tori. It was, from what I was told, it was difficult back then, but I think they renovated it, and it's even more difficult now. Oh, I'm sure. I haven't played it since. Uh, well, that's a lie. I haven't played it since I was like 16. Uh -huh. But it's it's very. I'm sure it's a lot tougher now. And I don't know. And the mo most recent one, I'd say that that's like a more memory thing. Like I'm sure. Um, I played more difficult ones. Concession is pretty tough, but that used to be my home course. So I got like really used to it. Oh, wait. So the golf course that we play, I can't believe I'm not thinking of this. The golf course, you might, you might know this. Uh, and in Jamie, uh, since you guys are South Florida residents, have you guys ever played old course crew? No, I have not. No. Oh my gosh. If you guys want to lose a dozen golf balls, then get out there. It's like, <laughs> we used to play that course for our college qualifiers and literally we had kids like lose golf balls like these are college golfers like like run out of golf balls in a qualifying round and have to borrow balls from other kids because it was it was a jack nicholas design and the fairways were about 20 to 30 yards wide and there was no rough so either you hit the fairway or you're reteen because you hit into a like either a like um whatever they call it um not a water hazard but like bushes like you can't like find it you're not allowed to look in it it's like nature uh hazard uh, hazard from nature whatever you call it yeah <laughs> and uh yeah so you're routine if you miss the fairway um oh yeah. yeah so that that was fun time you literally um <laughs> you you had like bad 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 dreams from that course like you would honestly develop like some pretty bad habits like pretty like uh timid on the t t box 
And we played that course every single qualifier. I, I never really got why our coach uh, chose to play that course every qualifier. Like, I kind of get what his thinking was. If you if you could play that course, you play any course. Yeah. But at the same time, like in college golf, you got to go low. And if you don't train at a golf course that teaches you how to go low, it's really tough to um, bring that to a tournament. Like, if not impossible. And if you're timid on the on tee boxes and you're qualifying and in your in your practice rounds, then you're going to be timid in a tournament. There's you can't really tra- transition that uh, over pretty well. No, I feel like if I were to play that after the first hole, just kill my confidence. It's like, what's the point of even playing anymore? Dude, I mean, but at the same time, like, if you play well there, you feel like you're a god at golf. It's it's nuts. <laughs> like, like, I think the lowest I shot there was a 69, and um, I felt like I was Tiger Woods, like reincarnated. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, uh, what was your celebratory drink? Oh, uh, <laughs> So we had a, a spot that we went to like after. Um, so we would have qualifiers like throughout the week and mm-hmm. they would usually end on a Friday or a Saturday. And just in time would, for the weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Our coach was smart that way. He, he knew that we had to kind of let off some steam throughout the week. And <laughs> we had two bars that we would always go to. <laughs> one was like before the, uh, the one was like a pregame. Right. And mm-hmm. This place had dollar drinks, uh, $5 apps, uh, happy hour. So from like five to like eight, it ran, like we pretty much kept this place up float cause we bought so many drinks and oh, then yeah. <laughs> we transitioned from that to this bar. Uh, it used to be called Rusty's. It's now closed. I don't know. Uh, they probably ran out of business cause of, cause of us. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> so that place was $10, but all you can drink. So you literally pay ten dollars oh, at the door. You pay ten dollars at the door. You get a mug, and it's just college kids and it's all you, can, all the alcohol you could drink. So that's that's usually where we would go after after that after a long week like that. that just uh, I don't dangerous. I don't think you could have picked a better place. I mean, your coach. I'm sure you were cursing your coach out for the the course that you had to play, but. To end it to end on a Friday and for you to easily just walk into a bar and just be like, give me all the alcohol. Dude, I don't think I spent <laughs> over thirty dollars ever. And there's a lot of rough nights. Like a lot of rough nights. Um, so so t- tell me about some of these meets. Who was the guy to beat? Um I'm I'm always curious to know, you know, you're a really good golfer, but so I'm I'm curious, was there ever a guy that was just like, that's the guy I need to beat? Dude, yeah. Um, so when I lived in California, um, Bo Hostler was like a really good junior at the time. I don't know if you guys heard of him or whatnot, but he's on tour. Uh, I think he's on tour now too. But he's usually up there on the leaderboards at some events. Um, but he was like the guy to beat. And Rico Hoey too. Um some local guys like Jonah Texera, like they were all pretty good at what they did. Um, Cause it's weird, man. Like golf's like one of those things, like the guys on tour now weren't that great junior. It's like Matthew Wolf's a different story, but everybody else it's like, or Justin Thomas, I guess too. Everybody else was like, uh, it's all right. Like very, very average uh, junior golf. And when I moved over to Florida, um, there's this guy, 
uh, called James Yoon, and we used to call him Tiger Yoon because his swing looked exactly like Tiger Woods. And fortunate for me, he went to my school at IMG, and I would play against him like a lot, uh, pretty much every day, if not if not every other day. And he had this thing, dude, when even if you were beating him, he would find a way to win. Like, it was very, very demoralizing. And we would play, like, money games or whatever growing, <laughs> growing up. And, like, <laughs> and I would be up on him by, like, a shot going in the last hole. Um, so all I would have to do is, like, par or, or better. And either he would birdie the hole or he would press you. So he would always press. So either he would bury the hole or tie you and then ended up winning in, in a, uh, in some extra holes. But, but yeah, dude, he was like, and he hit every shot in the bag. He was like, he went to Cal university. Um, and he, he recently got his, uh, Latin status. So he, he fought a lot of injuries in college. So he tore his ACL, um, playing like intermural soccer and a little ridiculous <laughs> but um he tore his acl doing that um and he was top five junior golfer in the, in the country and this and then he went to cal when michael kim uh walker I forget his first name michael walker or michael, michael weaver sorry um brandon hagee and um why am I forgetting his name? He's like, he's the most known guy out of all these guys. Um, he's on tour. Gosh, people are gonna give me so much crap about this. He's on tour <laughs> and he went to Cal. Uh, he's won a couple events. You guys know? Here, wait, let me look it up. Is it Max Homa? Yep, events? yep, yep. That's exactly who it is. You, you, all right, all I don't right. know how I didn't remember his name out of all those guys. But, all right, get yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. He was on that team. That so that was arguably the be- the best college golf team ever assembled. Because Michael Kim, so believe it or not, Max Homa was the worst out of those four players uh, at the time in college. He was. Michael Kim was the best in the best in the country. Michael Weaver re- recently won the USAM or recently finished second, I think, in the USAM. Um, and then Brandon Hagee hits it like three fifty. Hits it hits his driver at 350 yards in the air, all carry. Um, and then it's Max Homa. And so he was going into that golf team as a freshman and barely, barely cracking the, either the top five or they would take him as an individual. So in college golf, they have 10 guys on the team and they would take the best, the five guys out of the, out of the 10 to travel mm-hmm. to golf tournaments. Yeah. And occasionally they'll take the sixth guy as a uh, independent uh, individual golfer um and it just kind of they they do that from tournament to tournament based on like the uh, budget on the college and uh so his first year was in that and he barely he qualified maybe for two one event maybe maybe for two i don't know mm-hmm. but um he was in that that um environment and he would he would whenever he would come back uh, to visit me in Florida, we'd play every now and then. He still beat me, even though he wasn't <laughs> ever playing. Um, but yeah, he, he's really good. He's gonna he's gonna be start popping up here soon. You guys should keep an eye out for him. His name's James Yoon. James Yoon. Yeah. You know it. it it's um. 
The only reason I know Max Homa, aside from, you know, the um, he, in my opinion, he is one of the best influencers because he the content he puts out is just so funny. But I actually work with a guy that was on the Cal State team uh, and was roommates with Max Homa. So that's the only reason I know that he went to when you were you were having trouble with that uh, the Cal State. I was like, it's not Max Homa, is it? Dude, what was his name? Uh, Brian Murphy. Um, he he didn't really get to play, unfortunately, but uh, still a really good golfer. Dude, yeah, if you got a scholarship to Cal during that mm-hmm. era, damn yeah. Yeah, they were roommates, and um, I have been begging him to give me Max's number and be like, "Hey, Max, you want to jump on a podcast?" Yeah. Dude, you should. That'd be sick. Yeah, that, that, that would shoot you guys up. <laughs> We could only hope. So, what do you think is the best and worst part of your game? Um, the worst part is my driving. Like, like that's that's an obvious one for me. Uh, driving accuracy. So, like, some days I'll have it and I'll hit a lot of fairways, and the next day I might not be able to keep it on the planet. Um, Best is my putting. Like that saves my butt throughout most of the rounds. Um, irons are pretty decent, so yeah. I guess my worst is my driving. Best is my putting. And you don't drive for show and putt for dough. <laughs> is uh, what is the uh, conclusion I could tell you from that? You definitely need to drive it accurately. No, I think um, unless you're like, I... oh, what's up? Unless you're like Bryson, you know Bryson's just a uh, uh, just we won't we won't get on the top of him. He's um he's an anomaly. I don't think we'll ever see anyone like him on tour for a very long time. Maybe for good reason. Yeah, he is a freak of nature. Not to mention, you watch his swing. He definitely played baseball as a kid because he swings out of those shoes every time with the driver. Oh yeah, it's pretty impressive. I mean, my huh? God, no, it's. It's absolutely hilarious to watch, but it's at the same time, it's a lot of fun to watch because you're watching a guy who's stepping up there, just trying to hit the ball as hard as he freaking can. And that's it. He's a guy who looks at a lake between him and the whole 500 yards across and says, yeah, let's go for it. Yeah. No. Yeah. And he, I mean, he knows like, He's a smart dude, so he knows like the risks and stuff that come come to it. And um, at the end of the day, sometimes like if you carry, carry it three fifty, it's almost better to have a wedge in your hand than an eight iron from the middle of the fairway. Like it just depends on the hole. And I'm sure he's he's uh, took that into account in his practice rounds and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's just it's very situational. Um, I know people that drive it three. 50 that uh, just hit two iron off the tee because they can't really keep in the planet and they're more they're better off hitting like nine iron or something rather than like a wedge out of the rough because they don't really control the distances well enough with their wedges and mm-hmm. i think that's where like a lot of people like don't give bryson enough credit like because he's like an un- unreal wedge player and putter and uh he's got to be if he if he has to like uh, scramble uh, a lot out there no, definitely. Um, I want to ask you something. Hello? 
Yeah. Can, Hello. Can yeah, we're still here. All right, yeah, I perfect. Got All right. It just went dead for a minute. All right. Let me ask you something. Uh, recently, as Ed mentioned, we went to Miami. Oh, we went to – we played golf during my bachelor party. And I played the worst round of my life. I couldn't I, – I think I shot maybe 118. The Like literally the worst I've ever – and it really pissed me off because I had practiced every single week before the actual, and in the day of, I was shank, cold shanking everything. I couldn't do anything. What would you recommend to someone that would that was my situation? You know, you practice uh, in the day of, you just can't hit anything, and you're like half hour. You got to get out there. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're on the range and you just can't hit anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like a mindset switch, dude. Like it's very similar to, I guess, like transitioning from like practicing every day and and practicing on the course and whatnot. And, and then to a golf tournament, like, cause I've had like, and I've, I've taught players that like, I've had like the same exact experience uh, coming from like the range to the course where they just, they're hitting it fine the range. Um, but on the course they're like they can't keep it on the planet and i guess like to answer your question is like you get one the quick fix is you get one shot that you could just that you know is going to move that way so like whether it's like a five yard fade whether it's a five yard draw 20 yard fade 20 yard draw 50 yard slice 50 yard hook whatever it may be it doesn't matter mm-hmm. like if you know it's going to move that way just play that all day like it it if you find something just play it all day and like don't let your ego get out ahead of you because that's like the number one worst thing a golfer can do is just let their ego get ahead of them um so that's the short, yeah that's the short term and and to visualize your golf shots and to really believe uh that the the shots that you're hitting on the range are just not you and step back, take a deep breath, visualize where you want to be, what line you want to start on, and where you want the ball to finish. So if you point out those two specific spots and create a mental picture in your head on how you're going to start the ball over that specific blade of grass, right, and six inches in front of you, uh, your starting line, and where it's going to finish exactly uh, to, the, to the tree branch behind the pin where you're going to uh, land this ball on line with, you know? Um, yeah. just really paint that picture very vivid, almost like, stu- like almost where it's actually real, like in, in your mind. And then, uh, just literally don't think about anything and swing over that you're over your intended target and have it finish on your ending target. So that, that's just, that's the quick fix. And the long fix is to change your practice schedule. So to, uh, and I'm sure. I don't, I don't know like how you practice, but like 99% of the golfers out there, when they hit the range, they just kind of dump the basket of balls on, on the mat or on the uh, grass, uh, slab of grass where they're hitting and just beat away, right? Like without an intended plan. Uh, and the difference is between like that and the golf course, like the golf course, there's a target there. And once there's a target there, our, our mind goes like, all the alarms are going off and the caution symbols are going off. We're trying to steer it towards that target instead of just a swing. And I'd say like my advice would be when you're practicing, have like an actual plan on 
uh, what you're going to do that day. So like you could even like, even like simplify it to where like uh, you just divide the balls up into like five or 10 and you'd be like, all right, for this, these five golf balls, I'm going to hit like my stock shot, uh, stock eight iron to where it's going to fall to the right five yards. And for these five golf shots, I'm actually going to pretend like I'm into the wind here and I'm hitting like a little knockdown uh, seven iron to that eight iron position, Uh uh, same ball flight and uh really really get specific with your targets and stuff and especially with the driver too like create an imaginary fairway uh and create an imaginary situation be like okay i i'm like uh seven over par like if you haven't broken 80 or whatever i'm seven over par going into the 18th hole uh of my home course i know the bunker out there is a 250 yard uh to that bunker so I need to hit my little baby draw or little baby cut to, with a three wood to be sure of that bunker. Uh, just really paint that picture vivid in your mind to make it real, almost like create like an actual event on the on the range. You know, it's like if you want, if you could create it like real enough to where um, you feel it a little bit, like you feel the heat and your heart's racing a little faster, and you're kind of forcing yourself to take deeper and deeper breaths. And you know you're doing it right, you know? Like, if you're just mindlessly beating balls at their balls, might as well be laying on the couch, like, honestly. It's, like, that's yeah. like the worst thing you could do for your golf game. Um, it, it's kind of like that thing where, I don't know, it's a saying, you know, bring it into existence. If you think it, it will come. Dude, yeah, totally. It, golf's all about just, like, life, too. It's, like, it's crazy how similar the two are. And uh, you learn a lot of life lessons playing golf. It's the beautiful thing about the game. I agree. And, you know, I when you say play to your weakness, if you know that you're going to slice it, play the slice. Uh, what was it? Maybe two months ago I was down in Venice, Florida for a bit of an extended bit of time. Started taking some lessons at the local country club. And I went out with my dad and a family friend to play one course. And this is a long par five right next to a highway. So I do not want to slice it onto the freaking highway. That is all that I don't want to do. And there's a nice lake that runs the entire fairway to the left. So I aim a little bit over the lake, hoping that it will slice back onto the fairway. I'm not kidding when I say this is the straightest drive that I've ever hit dead into the hazard. Yeah. I literally... I've never been so pissed off but so impressed at the same time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no for sure and that's like um that's and when i say like uh and i'm not saying i'm I'm not putting words in your mouth or whatever but i'm not saying to swing your weakness or, or play your weakness or whatever i'm just saying like if that's your ball flight like commit to it and um so for your example uh pretty much you're thinking about not hitting the highway right so you're gonna do exactly you're either gonna do one or two things you're gonna hit either way left uh, which you're already aimed there, or you're going to slice it in the highway. <laughs> if you if you think of don't hit in the highway, you know, instead of having that mindset, just switch it up a bit to where you're thinking of instead of what I don't want to do, think of what I want to do. So like, just switch those, just switch that language up a little bit. Um, and this is especially true when you're playing bad and, and everything. Like if you're like, oh, I haven't had a good shot all day. I suck. Like there's no way I'm going to hit the shot on the green. Instead of like thinking all those negative things, you just need to have that mindset switch of just simply switching some words around. Be like, 
I'm due for a good shot here, or I just need to focus on hitting it over this blade of grass and having it finish on this specific target mm-hmm. and really, really dumb it down for yourself and like really commit to, uh, commit to your progress or process. And that's why everybody says to have a routine and it's important to have a, like a physical routine, but it's more important, I guess, like what, co- or what coaches and players are, probably saying uh, or trying to say most often than not is to have a mental routine. I feel like that's like way more important than to, uh, than a, than a physical routine. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah. So in your situation, instead of being like, Oh, I don't want to hit in the, hit in the, in the uh, highway. So I'm aiming over the, over the water here. Instead of that being like, all right, I need to hit it in the fairway. I'm going to hit the right side of the fairway. I'm going to aim at that. I'm going to have it finish at that branch. Uh, you pick a target kind of in the distance through the fairway, just in line of where you want to finish it. So you, you visualize where you want to finish it and then you trace it back. You kind of reverse engineer it to like, okay, if I'm going to finish it there, where do I need to start this ball uh, based on my previous golf shots today and based on what I've been working on, what I've been training. Um, and you reverse engineer it, be like, okay, and you start it over this blade of grass six inches in front of me, six inches in front of me. And it's usually you find like a dry spot here and there uh, when you're out there on the course. And you walk into it, literally only focusing on that starting line and finishing line. Take up, take a mental picture of where you wanted to finish. Look down. Like that's when you hear Tiger taking a mental picture. When he says take a mental picture, looks it up. Or what he means is when he looks at the hole, and then when he looks down, that uh, that visual of that golf hole is literally all he's thinking about. He's he's forgetting about any mechanical crap that he was thinking of prior to uh, this round or whatever he was working on with his coach. He's literally just focusing on the result that he wants and and his target. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll have to give that a shot for sure. Okay, yeah, I so mean, got... baby steps, you know what I mean, but. Uh, it's really, really important. Like the mental side of golf is like twice. I, I wish like, I'll probably end up posting a lot more about it because uh, I'm pretty passionate about it. Um, on my oh, oh, I can tell about about like <laughs> the whole process of, of like going about your your golf shots and like, and it's more. I feel like it's more important than an actual like stupid little drill. But that doesn't get the clicks right. Like the clicks get are like all like the uh, slice fixers or like never three putt again type thing. <laughs> it's, a, it's unfortunate, but it's a, it is what it is. <laughs> no, I completely agree. Routine is uh, extremely, well, since that day, I've been trying to, trying to, whenever I go out to the range, I try to have somewhat of an agenda. Um, I've been using my training aids a lot more. I use, um, um, I, I have a band. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, you know, the band that connects the, you know, the elbows together, you okay. know, um, I also, if, if I forget that, I like to put the towel under the armpits, you know, do nice little chip shots just yeah. to help me get in, get in sync. But um, one thing that I've always, oh, I feel like I, I, I'm, I'm, I know driving is sexy. I know to, 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 to drive at 300 plus yards is everything to me. I'd be okay with 250, but never three putt. Yeah. So I I need to to really nail down my putting. Yeah, and it just comes with uh, repetition, right? So with putting, um, 
there's two ways to make a or there's two like variables or whatever if we're gonna get really Bryce and Dishambo on this to <laughs> be able to be a good putter, right? You need to be able to match your intended line to your uh you need to be able to start your ball on your intended line and you need to have the right speed. So if one of those two things are off, you're going to miss the putt. Like, and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Like, like me and you could have the same exact putt, but I hit it a little bit harder. I'm going to take a different line. Like, it doesn't mean that I'm a better putter than you, or it doesn't mean that you're a better putter than me. It's just like a two different ways of hitting that putt. But if you're able to match those two things up, like speed and line, then you're really really gonna start putting really really well um and and with with line it just comes with consistency so like you get your station uh if you go on a practice putting green uh what i like to do is uh, i just made a recent post about it is have like a really uh specific setup um station to where i go in i measure the exact distance between the ball and my feet uh measure the exact distance between my left and my right foot uh, and you're able to kind of stay in that little three foot putt, hit like 50 in a row, try to make them all, uh, and kind of give yourself a rule like, okay, I'm not going to leave the screen until I make 20 in a row, 30 in a row, 40 in a row, 50 in a row, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you create that more consistent, uh, you create those like consistent patterns in your muscles to where when you, when you eventually step on a golf course, you're going to get into that routine more likely than not. Um, and that's, that's number one, I say when working on your putting, the next one is like a ton of like, uh, putts from like five to 20 feet. Like, like I'm not really too big on, uh, distance control. Uh, like they're important, like, but at the same time, if you're able to make those five to 20 footers, like, like, like pretty often, then you're going to be pretty well, like you're going to be pretty good at those like d- lengthy putts, like lengthy, mm-hmm. like 50 foot lag putts, whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this, step one is get that uh, set up down. So you get that set up like really down to where you're set up in the same exact position. Every time you're hitting the ball in the same that spot on the face, every time that way, you know, that's down. You can eliminate that variable in your putting and the more variables you can eliminate, uh, the more consistent you could be. So the next step is to get, uh, you're putting dialed from five to 20 feet down. So if you, that's like where the money is made. So um, you do like a couple of drills where you, you set a tee up uh, from five feet, 10 feet, 15 feet and get three balls or whatever. And you try to make three balls in the five foot uh, putt, uh, three out of three, two out of three in the 10 foot. And then one out of three in the 15, maybe or something. You start like sort of small like that. And then maybe, maybe you uh, move it up to five balls or whatever next time. And then you go five out of five from five feet, uh, four out of five from 10 feet, and then three or two out of five from 15 feet. You know, you just keep working it up like that. And you do left to right and right to left, just so you can see some different visuals. Um, And then, excuse me. And uh, so, yeah, you just kind of work at it that way. Uh, And the whole, and the most important thing is to see the ball go in. So if you're not putting well that day, uh, just scratch those putts to be honest and like literally hit three footers till you don't want to be on the golf course anymore. It's just <laughs> to see the ball go in. And that's really powerful because once you see the ball go in, the hole just seems like, like a ocean. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that, that sounds like some Stephen Curry stuff. Um, Dude, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, 
I, I know green reading is an art. Like it, it definitely takes a lot of time. You just you got to have that eye, that patience first. I mean, uh, it's, it's going to take a while for, for me to be able to really get somewhat good at it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just repetition, dude. It's like mm -hmm. people ask questions all the time. And uh, how do you like look at a putt? I'd say it's a better question. Like, let's well, say you have a, yeah. a little like 10 foot putt breaking left to right. Uh, what's like, what's your routine? Like, wh walk me through it. Uh, so, uh, right, I stand behind the ball probably maybe five feet. Um, one thing that I look at is the angle of how, well, I kind of like look at how the green is sitting. Um, I'll look at the line of the, the fringe and I'll try to, is it straight? Is it slanted? How it's, how is it moving? Um, I try to look, um, I try to look at how the grass is, you know, uh, bent, uh, if it's, if it's moving one way, uh, if it's, uh, pushed one way or another, it's really difficult for me to be able to tell that, um, I, and I'm really hoping that the greens and the practice, uh, you know, the, the practice area are the same Indeed. out in the course. Um, yeah. so I can at least judge speed. I yeah. feel like that's everything really. If I can, if I can, if everything was the same speed throughout every hole, I just need to find the line and that, I mean, that could possibly cut down my scores, but it's, um, I, I mean, I'm experimenting right now with different grips. Uh, I have the, I don't know the exact name of it, but my left hand um, is down and it's kind of like the reverse of how most people would do it. You know, regular golf grip, but my, my, my lead hand is a little lower. So oh, my shoulder is kind of like, yeah. So my show, I feel like, so fun fact, I'm actually left handed mm -hmm. and um, I grew up in a righty world, you know, like yeah. everyone I know is the only thing that I do that is lefty is I fight Southpaw and I throw lefty, but I bat righty. I kick uh, a soccer ball righty. Um, so I, I, and I, I decided to pick up golf as a righty because I, th I thought to myself, if I don't end up liking the sport, I'll have an easier time to sell my clubs than if I were lefty. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so um that's like my dad uh, my dad's a solid bot too and most things but he's right-handed golfer um very similar yeah uh so for, really for me that's the first thing i do i look at the line of the fringe and trying to see if it's straight if it's slanted that i kind of realize um you know the ball is naturally going to move that direction because of just gravity yeah. um i also look for i at least the courses that I play, I've always realized that if there's a there's a there's a body of water right next to the green, it's mm -hmm. most likely going to break toward that area. That's just I guess how greenskeepers do it. Yeah. So and I just line up my shot, hope for the best, really. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um a cool little trick that um I forget who told me this, but someone Something pretty good, I bet. Um, <laughs> um, a great way to read greens uh, if you're struggling that day um, is to break it up into two sections. So it's a lot easier to read a five-foot putt than it is a 25-foot putt, right? Uh -huh. uh, so you go up to the hole about five feet out, and you could kind of pretend like you have a little five-footer there, 
and just read it as if you were going to hit that five footer. And you got your spot to where you need the ball to roll over in order for that ball to go in the hole. Right. Uh-huh. And then you work your way back all the way to your original 25 foot putt. And you're like, okay, where do I need to get this ball to, to make that five footer? Does that make sense? So you kind of work from the hole back. Yeah. So on the five foot putt, you imagine the ball going in at seven o'clock right there or something. Uh, if you mm-hmm. pretend the hole's a clock um, and you're like, okay, this ball needs to just break uh, like a half, a half a ball uh, out to the left. I need to aim this ball half ball to the left. And then I would work my way back to that 25 foot putt and then ask myself, where do I need to putt this ball to, to where that the ball would roll over that five foot putt going in at a half a ball out to the left and have it knock in at seven o'clock of the hole. So yeah. if you kind of split it up into two, it might be a little, might be, might help you out. It might be a little bit easier to digest. Um, helps me yeah. a lot, uh, especially yeah. with those lengthy 25 foot putts. You want to make them, you know, it's like, and it's cool to make those putts. Um, and also it'll, def- dude, it'll definitely change the way the game, I mean, your mood, if you can make that. Yeah, absolutely. And also like, maybe look at it. Uh, so what I like to do is either I'll look at it from uh, kind of do like the Tiger 360 thing. Um, but I'd like to do 180 because I don't like to go above the hole. But uh-huh. I sit back and look at it from behind the ball. And then I go on the low side of the putt. So where the the low side of the green is. Um, and that way you're able to look up at the putt uh, rather than kind of down. Uh, and it's uh-huh. a lot easier to kind of read shit from uh, like if you if you have a book, right? You're not going to like like angle it away from you it's gonna be really hard to read it's easier to read angled up if that makes sense no Um, definitely yeah so you you want to kind of make it as easy as possible to be able to read the putt at hand so you start from the back of the hole go over it on the low side read it and you kind of get a feel for the distance of the putt too that way and then you walk around to the back of the hole and that's when you're able to see that last five feet of putt uh there and it's a lot easier to see it from there than it is from all the way from your ball. Um, so if you just incorporate those two things, like break the putt up into two parts and then maybe switch up your routine to where you kind of do a little 180 uh, around mm-hmm. the hole, uh, you might might have some different results, man. I'll definitely have to uh, give that a try. I'm, um, I actually have the week off after Christmas and I'll be golfing. I'm golfing every day until the new year. So I'm going to really? use that. Oh yeah. oh yeah oh yeah you're gonna have to keep me updated man oh no i will i will help. i might I, I might have to make a trip over to west florida who knows the west side dude yeah come, I'll have you out come here. see you <laughs> i'll have you out here we got some they're overseeing right now but it's actually stupid pure well you can't beat that i mean no no way you might catch some flyers from the middle of the fairway but uh, hey at least you're putting on like really good greens <laughs> Hey, whatever gets it done. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm jealous, Jamie. You're going to be getting a week's worth of golf in the warm Florida weather. I'll be freezing my balls off in northern Jersey. Ah. Mm-hmm. Dang. You, you guys, other other sports fans, too? Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm a really? huge Formula One fan. Oh, really? Me yep, too, dude. I am I'm excited. S- what did you think about the last race? Um, I threw a party. I mean, I, not much. Let me tell you. Um, Were you if a party I, at like 9 a.m.? 
Yes, in my house, <laughs> just my wife and I. I am not judging. But, <laughs> no, uh, I'm a huge. Uh, so I started watching Formula One in like 2010. Became like a Red Bull fan almost because you know the drink. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then uh, so I was fine. really uh, was really a Mark Webber fan from the beginning. And I just he they did him dirty. So you know, like he was a second driver to Sebastian Vettel, and oh, so. you know they 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 wouldn't let him win. I mean, he was capable of winning, but um, yeah. you know, I'm a. It's I don't hate. I do not hate Lewis Hamilton. I just don't think he deserves the praise that he does. There's a lot of politics involved in it. I think you know. I don't. Mm-hmm. I just got really into it after watching uh, probably like 99 percent of the U.S. population after watching uh, the Netflix series. So I was watching that, and then I, mean, I got really into it the last couple of years, just watching it on TV. Yeah, I mean it. It's how else were people going to know? I mean, uh, a lot of people get shit on for it you know like oh you only like it because of this documentary well how else are people going to know about it Dude, yeah it's it's how ha- it's it, half of the race i mean all the races are outside the u.s they're in air and they they're they're uh, if you want to watch it live it's at 1 a.m if you want to watch it when they're in japan or australia so like right right or it's I like mean, most... at 9 a.m and then on sunday morning you know what i mean mm-hmm. Oh, um, I'm not sure if you're aware. They are making a, a Formula One race next year in Miami. Dude, yeah. That's why I said two, because there's one in uh, Texas, too. Um, yeah, the, the Circuit the of Miami. Americas. Yeah. I wasn't sure if the Miami one was this year or not. But, dude, yeah, I looked up tickets, too, and they're already like $1,000. <laughs> yeah, I was on the wait list for the tickets. Um I was on, a, I think the second round of wait list at my day was Thursday. I got an email Wednesday night letting me know that tickets had already been uh, sold out. Really? Uh, um, yep, it's already sold out. Oh. And the reason why the tickets are so expensive, I think people don't know. Um, it's not, you're not going to buy a ticket for a one day event. You're buying the ticket for the entire event, for the practice rounds, qualification, and the actual race. Oh, I actually didn't know that. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, I, I only know that because I was trying to get tickets for Japan. Like the yeah. the I want to see the Japanese Grand Prix Monaco Monza, which is in northern Italy next to Milan. Mm. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Silverstone. You know, whatever. It's oh it's really kind of cool. Yeah, I just I don't know. I was gonna say either Silverstone or uh, which is the one. Uh, oh my gosh, that's the most famous one. Um, we have Spa. Well, Monaco is the th- Monaco is the most like, famous race. It's the the, yeah, the, the street like circuit, so. very tight. Yeah, in Paris or not Paris in France. I mean, yeah. Um, it's uh, it's in Monaco, which is right next to France, and I, I'm pretty sure the the people of Monaco speak French. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, um, yeah, those are the races I want to see. Uh, definitely Japan. I've heard their fans are extremely passionate. Um, it's definitely a different environment, and. In, I think it'd be really interesting to be to, to to experience that, and then Monaco, and then obviously Miami. You know, Dude, it's, yeah, it's li- it, I was I was just there yesterday. I saw I, um, it's going to be wrapping around the Miami Dolphin Stadium, and you can already see um, the track that they're building. Really already? Yeah, wow. yeah, from the turnpike. That's fast, or that's mm-hmm. a lot sooner than I thought. Yeah, I uh, can't watch the uh, Netflix series uh, this next year after seeing this whole season this year, it's like so much drama. I know, um, you know, Ed's a huge baseball fan. Unfortunately. Um, I mean, I enjoy watching it, but he's, oh, he's baseball. a pretty big baseball fan. I can't watch baseball. Unfortunately. So. 
Unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, I watch hockey too. I watch oh, NASCAR. Cool. But I, I think mean, I think the, oh, NAS. Oh yeah, we went to Daytona. Uh, Ed and I both went to college in Daytona, so NASCAR is. Um, um, yeah, we we got to see those races. Oh, nice, nice. My sister's thinking about going to uh, Daytona Community College over there. Uh, I think oh, it was okay. Daytona State. Day- Day- Daytona State. Yeah, Daytona State. Yeah, Daytona State. Uh, it's it's a it's an interesting area, Daytona. It is. Um, really? It's it's not a place that I would want to grow raise children, but for a college town, it is very oh, interesting. Very... Fun or uh, or not fun? Well, <laughs> it can be. Think, think about it this way. Like ratchet or was it? Oh yeah, ratchet. Certain areas, but think about really? it this way: you get five weeks of spring break a year. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I bet because everyone just comes down, right? Um, yeah. yeah, it's it, not just that, but you also have uh, the cheerleading national week. We're literally mm-hmm. it's the, the cheerleading championship. So every cheerleading team in the United States and or world come <laughs> to Daytona. Um, you have Biketoberfest. You have Bike Week. You have the NAS. You have uh, you know the Daytona Five Hundred. You have the Pepsi Four. You yeah. have your country. Um, you have the beach. You have quite a bit and then you have three different universities ed and i both went to embry riddle there's daytona mm-hmm. state and then there's an hbcu more toward the water called bethune and cookman or okay. bethune cookman there, there's also a um ucf satellite campus as well mm-hmm. oh sweet yeah yeah there's a lot there yeah she was she was she actually golfs too she was talking to the coach and uh yeah i, I have no way not, I have no knowledge about that area, so I was seeing what you guys thought about it. Uh, tell her to stay away from any guy that claims to be a pilot. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, we know quite a few of those guys. Oh no! Oh, that that will that will be their opening hey, line. It's <laughs> an interesting opening line. It's just like a Top Gun scenario over there, or what? Is that where you go oh, like, like the Top Gun is religion, and that at that school, be, every every before yeah. the before the, the the school year starts, everyone gathers in the auditorium and watches Top Gear. <laughs> I mean, not, not Top Gear, Top, Top Gun. Gun. Yeah, Top Gun. Yeah, where's oh, yeah, my... where they all wear the aviators and everything, huh? Don't judge me. I have two of those. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Ice man. Oh, oh but yeah, uh, tell her to stay away from pilots. If well I mean, it, I, don't, I don't know how much you like your sister, but it, if <laughs> I had a sister, that's what I would tell her. Yeah, I'll tell her the same. I'll tell her the same. I can second that. All right, so we do have one final question left. All right. In true in the rough golf podcast fashion, what is the most in the rough thing you've ever done? Uh, golf related. Or, yes, like okay. screwing around on the course, anything that you did that might have been unfavorable. Um, our last guest admitted that they were able to get a full cooler on top of a golf cart and then drive it around for the rest of the rounds, stuff like that. And we're not talking a small cooler, we're talking a good size beach cooler where like two or three people can sit on there. They strap it on the roof and just go full speed. Really, <laughs> it, it was pretty impressive, and you can also see pictures of this if you go to Trailer Park Golf Club's website. It's quite impressive. Oh, they got a video. They got a video of it. <laughs> really? Yes, they do. Yeah. That's hilarious, dude. Yeah, I mean, I've done. There's not like one scenario that stands out. 
like um i've totaled a golf cart before um sober like just oh wow like early in the morning um i was like uh driving the golf cart like going around the corner and didn't see this rock there and just literally drove up on the rock and they had to get a crane to get the golf cart off um i don't know how the golf cart had enough power to get up on the rock but it did and i just for some reason i kept the accelerator going and uh me and my part my partner was freaking out um or the partner of the golf cart right but i did that i mean obviously snuck beers out to the course um that's just a given um Uh in college and whatever maybe um what else what else what else um i'm trying to think i mean i'm not really nothing crazy man it's like i wish i had some crazier stories uh i've gone i played tournaments like super hungover before um like play qualifiers i mean super hungover uh but that was like pretty normal for college yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah you show up to the range like five minutes before because you're barely rolling out of bed after staying up to like four in the morning the night before <laughs> and you're like you're shaking on the first tee you like you take three advil just to just so you can kind of get loose uh you skip any balls uh just popping the advil loosens you right up uh if you guys need uh if you guys need an extra uh tension release that's a it's a pretty good uh tool that i use on a daily on a tournament rounds but uh yeah you pop in those <laughs> advils, maybe you like hit a couple of putts on the green try to stay vertical and then uh and then try to keep it on the planet off the first hole when your coach is watching and then pray for the rest of the round right <laughs> but yeah. that that's about it like i mean yeah nothing crazy in my golf course i kept i kept it pretty professional out there did all the crazy shit out, off the course no, I mean, you're, you're, I mean, I'm not sure how old you are, but you still got some time. There, there's still plenty yeah, of time exactly. to, <laughs> exactly. I mean, it doesn't have to be today. It doesn't have to be tomorrow, but who knows 10 years from now, you can give someone else, you can give someone a concussion just like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got, got a lot of golf years left in me. I'm only 25. So it's like, well, yeah, that's... a lot, a lot of years ahead of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like yeah, I'm yeah. playing this on like 90. <laughs> Hey, you know what? That would be a good problem to have all around. And Jamie, I will say, if somebody hits me with a golf cart and gives me concussion, I'll I'll just fully accept now that it's karma coming back to me. Because <laughs> there's been two golf cart incidents thus far. So, um, dude, I'm yeah, not sure what that says. But you better sleep with one eye open, man. It's coming. Honestly, oh, yeah, after, for sure. <laughs> after the last incident, I'm amazed. I do, I just didn't get punched in the middle of the night. Yeah, he just comes or a up. pillow, just like right over the face. Be like, it's okay, Ed. Just go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Let it happen. Just let it happen. Well, I mean, if anyone was going to do it, it was going to be the paramedic. So he probably be putting your life in danger and then saving you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. I'll definitely report back if I have a crazier story. Oh, please oh, do. Please do. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. It really means a lot. Um, uh, Ed, anything? No, I'm all good here. Thank you, Ramek. It's been a pleasure. No problem, guys. Pleasure to be on here. All right. Thank you, man. You, uh, everyone, take care. All right. See you. Have a good night, everybody. <laughs>